Hi guys, welcome to Stubbornly Optimistic. At the very beginning of this podcast, I'm going to just put something that I very rarely do. I'm going to put a content warning in. This particular episode is about depression. Part of my lived reality, part of many people's lived reality. I recorded parts of this when I was quite low. It was a spur of the moment decision and for some, this podcast may be difficult to listen to. For others, it may be a positive experience. So all I suggest is you go into this podcast with that in mind. And if it does become a difficult one for some people, just prioritize your own self-care over listening to my inane ramblings. Conduit through which the entire force of the universe flows. So much has happened since I last saw you. I went on a journey of self discovery. Not this fruit ladder. Train yourself to let go. You fear to lose. What you need, you already have. Can you talk? XM satellite radio. Digital cable brings you the broadcasting system. So you you talk to the radio? Hello and welcome to Stubbornly Optimistic, the podcast all about people and what makes them tick. I felt a funeral in my brain, and mourners to and fro kept treading treading till I felt that sense was breaking through. And when they all were seated, a service like a drum kept beating, beating, till I felt my mind was going numb. That was a short extract read by Andrew Solomon from a poem by Emily Dickinson. I'll put a link to the full TEDx talk down in the description of this podcast. If you're interested, I thoroughly recommend it. I wanted to say a few things about mental health. Why so? Well, because regular listeners and people that have listened to the interviews that I've done with various people will have spotted by now a a theme. Stubbornly optimistic is an affirmation for me because it acknowledges that life doesn't always go the way we'd like and that in some cases, our resilience to that life and the actions, reactions, effects, causes, all of the stuff that goes to making up a life sometimes aren't what we'd really like of ourselves. Um, And part of that for me, part of my reality is depression. You might say that uh, I'm somewhat haunted. (laughs) I'm somewhat haunted um, by failures, by decisions, and sometimes those little voices get loud and um, I've I've had issues in my life with depressive episodes and this isn't unusual for people that have for want of a better phrase become successful in their life Um, there's a lot of stuff out on the internet memes and otherwise that suggest that you can't necessarily appreciate success without having tasted some some level of failure and indeed in business you're never really going to find that many business people that have created a business and it's been instantly successful and consistently successful and they've never had any failures 
I was actually at um, a convention, a business convention meeting locally last night and some very, very influential people, some very successful people were very honest and stood up and gave little five minute presentations each and the common theme um, with all these little presentations that they were giving is you will screw up, you will make mistakes and you will fail because they all did and then how they reacted to that failure is how they created their success. So mental health and depression if you're suffering with depressive episodes then this podcast is for you um, if you've ever struggled with them if you've ever had to manage them and ever had to create your success while doing both of those things so I think it would be useful if we started by your telling me something about your state of mind at the moment. How would you describe it? Would you say you were happy or depressed, confident or unsure of yourself? What words would you use to describe your mood, would you say? Take your time. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Your problem seems to centre around the delusion that you are a psychiatrist. <laughs> And that everyone you speak to is a patient of some sort. This is a rare but not unheard of syndrome. Mm, mm. I'll split the podcast into two things. Describing my own depression, how it comes about, some of the stuff that um, actually goes through my head. And then the second half, I'll deal with how I manage that. The self-help technique. Whoop. Talking is hard. The self-help techniques and other things that I do to break the cycle of melancholy and other things that, that if, you, if, if left unchecked, that cycle will result in you spending days and days and days in bed. And at its worst, other things. So what's it like? Well, I've done a podcast on living with gender dysphoria and some of these symptoms are going to be similar um, depression is an odd thing to quantify because the reasons why people are depressed the external reasons why they're depressed are quite often very very varied humans are varied have a listen to Andrew Solomon's take on cognitive dissonance that I described in the podcast all about gender dysphoria. It's uh, it's an interesting way that he explains how the realization that he had depression changed his view of his own identity. I had always thought myself tough, one of the people who could survive if I'd been sent to a concentration camp. In 1991, I had a series of losses. My mother died, a relationship I'd been in ended, I moved back to the United States from some years abroad, and I got through all of those experiences intact. But in 1994, three years later, I found myself losing interest in almost everything. The opposite of depression is not happiness, but vitality. And it was vitality that seemed to seep away from me in that moment. And I also started reckoning with this terrible question. If I'm not the tough person who could have made it through a concentration camp, then who am I? 
And if I have to take medication, is that medication making me more fully myself? Or is it making me someone else? And how do I feel about it if it's making me someone else? I agree with Andrew's comments here. He talks about medication, identity, and the realization that you have depression can very much change your view of yourself. Um, when we talk about how to deal with and, if you like, combat depression, combating depression requires us to accept that we have it. And that requires us to examine our worldview of ourselves. It's very similar to the stuff that I've spoken about with gender dysphoria. For me, having both was a similar sort of thing to the journey that Andrew describes. Because my transition was 2015, I also suffered a similar series of losses. My career, my father sadly passed away, um, the affluence that goes with the career, the change in social setup, moving house, actually also losing a house through some very, very poor landlord management. All those series of losses feed into what is now, what I now know is complex loss. Complex loss being something that can be, in people, a trigger, and seemingly was in my case. I had one bereavement, which is a very understandable loss. At a certain level, we are pre-programmed to accept the death of our elders because we all know that life is finite. But the other losses that I had, the unexplained stuff and the unexpected stuff, career, etc., there was, there was no end, particularly, and I do wholeheartedly believe this, particularly with regard to my career, because even now, today, I'm still suffering the effects, the physical, financial um, effects and knock-on effects to me and my family as a result of that occurrence. So it's an ongoing daily thing. And Andrew spoke of a three-year period between the major events and the onset of his, his depression. And that resonates with me. As I say, if you want to listen to the whole TED Talk, I'll put the link in the details for this podcast. Really very, very interesting. And I think it does a phenomenal job of explaining how this stuff can affect you. Also, his approach was similar to myself. He realized he had it. So he went and he spoke to people that have depression. I have done similar with gender dysphoria. I got curious. I learnt. Of course, being a nurse and someone with a scientific, specifically physiological, human physiological background, academically, I had a head start in that learning. Aspirin, adrenaline, and also aminophilin, amphetamine, adenosine, augmentin, and rifampicin, amoxicillin, penicillin, heparin, and warfarin, and estrogen, progestogen, and canistin, and chloroquine. There's bendriflumethiazide, and also cyclophosphamide, and metoclopramide, acetazolamide, tropicamide, leperamide, amiloride, and cyclozine, and fusamide. You must remember all these drugs, the names of which you've learnt from me. Or fuck them all and get a job in orthopedic surgery. I recently listened to another interview with uh, quite a successful guy 
Um, some of you may know of this chap through some of the sort of more geeky stuff that I've talked about. Uh, a, a chap by the name of Matt Mercer, who is a um, games developer and the dungeon master for a show online called Critical Role. And he recently talked about something called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is feeling like you are not good enough, that you don't belong in the company that you find yourself in, and that you're going to be found out that you are a fraud, a fake, etc. And these thoughts can plague people. They can plague people to the point where they get to a almost a paralysis. They can't make a decision they feel like they are stuck because their internal voice is such a such a loud cacophony of you don't belong there they're going to find you out you're just wasting their time etc you don't you know your opinions don't matter all this kind of stuff that um can get so loud that you can't you can't think above that noise and so you just kind of st- dick doing nothing um and that's what i've taken to call sort of organizational or decision paralysis you can't function and i get that quite a lot i get that quite a lot it gets in the way of being productive um because on the on the heels of that imposter syndrome is why bother if you know you're not good enough you know you're not someone that belongs in that circle of people professionally personally whatever then why bother there's no point they're going to find you out don't do the don't put the effort into something that's going to fail you know and you then you get into this sort of depressive downward spiral of thought process that creates inaction so that's where it starts for me and of course with imposter syndrome, all of your failures loom massive. We've all got them. Whether it be a business you started, whether it be a job promotion you didn't go to, whether it be an interview that you went to and it didn't pan out as you'd like. You know, we become hypercritical of our own performance. And criticism of our own performance is a good thing. But being hypercritical and you know, overly critical and overthinking all of our failures and focusing on those imposter syndrome makes that even bigger um and it diminishes the the positivity it diminishes our focus on the good stuff and it's like a law of diminishing returns the more you focus on the negativity the less positivity you can fit into your life um you know things start to loom large and it's it's ridiculous how how pervasive this stuff can get. Um, down to the fact that, you know, if you, I've had days where I've had so much going on in my head, even, you know, putting the, the dishes away and then you drop a teaspoon. It's like you drop a teaspoon on the floor. It's, it's just not a problem. 
but it's such a bloody annoyance because you can't even put the teaspoon in the drawer properly so you're a complete waste of space and this is what goes through your head of course none of those thoughts are actually true but this is what goes through your head because you're in that very 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 negative focused state so that's the biggest thing is that imposter syndrome because all of your learning experience it's the most pervasive and most dangerous thing i think um to be aware of when you talk about depressive thoughts negativity spirals um because everyone's got failures and it's self-sabotaging self-talk you know because everyone's got failures failures are how we learn which is what I've talked about in previous podcasts. If you don't fail, you've never tried. And then this imposter syndrome comes up and goes, yes, but you keep failing because you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. And so how do, we, how do we get out of that? How do I, when these sort of things creep in, how do we get out of that the negative spiral? And it depends on the day. Because I'll set myself up to do something. Let's say, for example, I'm going to go swimming or I'm going to go for a bit of weight training or whatever. Um, and I want to do it because I want to improve my fitness or, yeah, I've, or I've got a, a deadline to meet. I've got to create something, online content do the editing for these podcasts, something like that, that needs to be done. Um, and if I set myself a target and I don't attain it, then imposter syndrome starts to creep in. Similarly, if you set yourself too many targets and your lists are massive, your to-do list has 25 items on them and they're all red because they're all past the, the arbitrary timeline date that you set when you created the list. All that stuff is going to feed into your negativity. How do you moderate the, this? Well, the answer is keep your lists short. Um, and to always have a go-to backup plan. Case in point, if I can't get out the door to go swimming, I'll do weights in the house. What that creates is an either-or scenario. It's not a pass-fail it's not a do or do not in total because the actual thing that I'm wanting to do if I was to say I'm going to go swimming and do some fitness is activity. And what the activity is doesn't necessarily matter as much as doing an activity. So you can circumvent the failure and kind of wrong foot the imposter syndrome by going, okay, didn't have the the timing, the discipline, the get up and go, whatever, to get out to the gym, to get out to swimming. But I've got free weights in my house and I'm going to throw those around with a bit of music on and do something. And that's the crux of it. Do something. Um, I've used this phrase quite a lot, pattern interrupt. The negative spiral stuff, the negative self-talk is a pattern. It, it, it feeds on itself. So if you do something from marketing which is called a pattern interrupt if you think about twitter feeds for example and then someone lobs in a twitter uh, 
post with a picture in it, it interrupts the pattern of text, textual feeds. So a pattern interrupt in your day would be that instead of sitting on the computer and trying to write stuff, you go and, like I said, throw some weights around. Or you go for a walk. Or you'll go, well, actually, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch something on the computer for half an hour and then go back to what I was doing, whatever the task was. Um, that's, a, that's a good one in terms of having a pattern interrupt. Throw something into the mix that does something really, really different. And what that can do is sometimes jolt your brain out of these negativity things. You find yourself almost engaging in positivity without knowing. Something else that's quite useful is micro deadlines. If you're struggling, then let's say you were supposed to get up at nine in the morning and at half past nine you're still in bed, right? Then when you're in bed, go, right, okay, I'm getting up in 20 minutes. And that's that would be 10 to 10. That takes the pressure off you to act now, but it says, I'm going to do this in 20 minutes. Yeah? And it's not a case of... I'm going to do it, and then you don't. It's in 20 minutes, I'm going to get up. I'm going to relax for 20 minutes, and then I'm getting up. I will be getting up. And you sort of recite this, etc. And then at 10 to 10, you're up, and you've done it. If you have a project that you've got to work on, and you're procrastinating and procrastinating and procrastinating because you just don't want to start, then you can set a micro deadline and go, right, I'm starting this at one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm off now, so I'm not at work now. This is particularly good if you work from home or you have a home office. You can go, I'm not feeling it. I'm just not, I'm just not in the right headspace. I'm off now, but I start at one. And what that does is it tricks your brain into the routine side of things. Um, having a start time and getting into the productivity mindset of, of a work-based activity. As well as micro-deadlines, if you want to look at the whole day, um, I mentioned about getting out of bed. When you get out of bed, make it. Make the bed. Really simple. Why do I say that? Because if, to use a phrase that I've mentioned in a couple of my blog entries and things like that, if you treat the day as an exercise in curiosity, making your bed means that even if this exercise or experiment in curiosity hasn't produced great results, at the end of the day, you are getting into a made bed. It's a really subtle, really simple, single success. The minute you're up, you're out of bed, you've made it, literally, out of the bed. Then you make the bed, which is an affirmation to yourself that you're not getting back in it yet. And also, you have that 
carrot on a stick of getting back into a made bed at the end of a day that hopefully, if the experiment is successful, will have been a productive day. So the little kind of life hacks, if you will, um, that I've used to break the depressive cycle can be tiny, tiny little things, inconsequential things, possibly listening to this and thinking, well, they're bloody obvious. Yes, of course they are, because if they weren't, and if they were difficult and tricky and convoluted solutions, you wouldn't employ them, because these are things that can be employed at your lowest point, at your lowest point. I listened to a, a thing today, um, which actually instigated me doing this little podcast. Steve Jobs, he said uh, in an interview, it's, it's quite a well-known interview that's on the, on the internet, and he said, yeah, learn to love what you do, or at least love what you do, have some passion for whatever you do, because if you don't, you'll quit. You've got to love what you do. Um, and he was applying that to business, to work, to you know, whatever it may be. Love what you do in life, because if you don't, when it gets hard, you'll quit. Any sane person would. And the thought occurred to me as I was listening to Steve Jobs' interview, that the best way to combat this imposter syndrome, to combat depressive thought patterns when you recognise them in yourself, is to love life. Because if you learn to love life, then you'll do it. You'll have a passion for it. And life is ups and downs. Life is depressive days. Life is fantastically productive days. Life is disappointment, disaster, and it is also triumph and achievement. If you love the journey, which is something that um, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about a lot. Love the journey. Love the process is the way he puts it. It's the same thing. Love the journey. In a really odd counterintuitive way, learn to love the days where you feel crap because they make you value the days when you feel good and you're productive. Difficult bit with that is you've got to forgive yourself for having the crap days in the first place. You're only human. And if you have a tendency to overthink, depressive cycles, whatever it may be, perhaps it's bipolar, you know, or could be gender dysphoria, it could be any number of different things that affect the way you think about life and yourself. We all know the sort of classifications of them. If you have those, you know, learn to forgive yourself for having those it's part of your personality you wouldn't be you without all, all of those darker bits what is the mechanism of resilience and what i came up with over time was that the people who deny their experience the ones who say i was depressed a long time ago and i never want to think about it again and i'm not going to look at it and i'm just going to get on with my life ironically those are the people who are most enslaved by what they have shutting out the depression strengthens it while you hide from it it grows. And the people who do better are the ones who are able to tolerate the fact that they have this condition. Those who can tolerate their depression are the ones who achieve resilience.
So that, that's it really, I guess. Uh, it's a bit of a stream of consciousness. Um, it came to me in a bit of an inspirational moment to record this. Top tips, a few top tips for you to manage the days when you feel below your best. Um, and some practical strategies to employ to get you from where you are to where you want to be on a very, very minute-to-minute -minute basis. As ever, guys, keep it stubbornly optimistic. And you know, like I always say, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Bye for now. You seem very comfy in your own skin, yes. which is an amazing trait. Yeah. What is yes. your tip? Why? Why? Because every time, see the atmosphere. You just yes, coming on. Yes. You provide joy. Yes. What is it? What's I, your I, thing? I, I love life. And life loves I, you. Yes. <laughs> and I also love myself. Good. Uh, yes. I think you've got to. You've got to really love yourself. I mean, yeah. To love oneself is to have a lifelong romance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 76. I won't be restricted. You follow your dream. <laughs> There's no one like you. We've all got something that no one else has got. Follow your dream and don't let the bastards grind you down. Yeah! Any more questions you want to ask? He wants us to get in the car. And go where? 50 years from now, when you're looking back at your life, don't you want to be able to say you had the guts to get in the car?